Okay, uh, I have a question. We have three people who do podcasts in the room. We have other people who are big into social media and probably some that aren't. Is all of, you know, with I'm seeing a growth in podcasts and all that. Is that people who go to a sporting events are optimum you know, collecting audience? But how do we get the word out about Jim's podcast, which is a mix of yesterday and today? Your podcast where you have the benefit of, you know, the, you know where you know the 40 years that Jim you know helped build and your podcast which appeals to the people who want to know more about the pure monetary aspects I'm um, in third place of podcasters in the room and I'm fucking with that <laughs> because I'd be fourth place if Stefan was here <laughs> but hats off to you guys and I'm trying to do my part but it is a medium that is catching on and I'm learning from Jeff that the, the YouTube aspect, Eric and I are both pretty much audio, but uh, Jeff's had some great success, I think, with thinking YouTube first and letting be letting uh, the, the, the podcast be the exhaust because there's a dynamic element, even of a talking head. If, and I think, well, why would people want that? That's the wrong question. What do people want? They apparently want that. And so I'm doing the Tim yeah. Getch thing of what would I want? Mm -hmm. How do I want to do this? And mm -hmm. and I'm not the typical customer anymore. My any success that we had early on with Beckett Publications was that was the fact that I had been a serious collector, a serious dealer. I had I'd done all those rules, and I really had customer intimacy. I knew the key dealers. I knew what collectors thought, and so I could get started in a way that I knew would work. I knew it would eventually work. Mm -hmm. That's part of your success, too. You were also you, something Mark Lewis wasn't honest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it didn't affect him very much for quite a while. But well, so, eventually, in the yeah. long run, <clears throat> honesty is better. I think that the hobby is really complicated now mm -hmm. for new people getting into it. Yeah. And I think that the demand for podcasts and YouTube shows and everything like that is going to continue to grow because I think new folks getting in are going to go out and seek information because it's it's difficult to understand what's going on. I mean, it was difficult for me when I got back into it like a year and a half ago. To I was like, wait, wait, wait. Such a quick study. Oh, I was so excited. I'm like, oh, look, Donruss is still here. I can buy Donruss. And then you know, I was like, well, wait a minute. Donruss is part of Panini. How is this? Wait a minute. What's this optic thing that's going? Wait a minute. How come all these Donruss cards are, are different colors and numbered? And you know, and, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh my god! There's 26 different basketball sets that are being produced every year by one company. Like, what is going on? And so uh, we're right around 30 now. Okay. Well, and then I mean that, and then but then you further complicate things because you get you know you got Prism and now Prism's being sold by first off the line. Prism's being sold in fast break, and Prism's being sold in choice, and Prism and so all this they all have their own inserts and parallels that are different than one. <coughs> um, so it's it's incredible the how complex it has become, mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think people just have a thirst for information. They want to learn it. I mean, the ironic thing to that is, as complex it is, I also feel like that the majority of collectors are smarter than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have more just, access to information yeah, than they've ever had. For that reason. Yeah. For if that they reason, limit I mean, their, what they're focusing on, they can do that. Yeah. If we were, back in the day when you all were there, we were pretty exhaustive. And that's, it's hard to be an expert of everything. <clears throat> but, you know, Jeff's recommending 
you know, focus on your key players and those key cards, and you can you can get up to speed pretty quick. Yeah. Your well, example of the unnumbered inserts it used to take us months to figure out. Yeah. I mean, were were these Group A or Group B when that was going on? Or right. But now people figure it out right away. We had some. You know that. That's well, they watch a case case. They see how it breaks. Exactly. There's so much more information. Yeah. I think we had 97 dollars fractal matrix or something oh, like that, yeah. and. That we still don't. No. We haven't figured that out. <laughs> the hobby has You know, this was just as eBay was beginning, and, and Don was assuming people were going to break more cases than they did, or whatever score was called at the time, or whatever. And though he was breaking the cases. And so we, there were $2 cards selling for 150 and cards that should have been $100 selling for 3 and nobody knew. And eventually, Grant and the, whoever it was at score, that got critical, they finally said, Doug, Doug Goddard. This is this is before this is before two thousand one. This is like ninety seven. Yeah. And finally, he says you got to tell us because otherwise we can't price this, and and nobody's going to know the the thing. And there's a mix between knowing what's really scarce, and not knowing anything. And Don, you probably go through this with some of the graded cards you've chased over the years, where some of your cards that you <coughs> thought were scarce were actually easy and. Some of the cards that people told you were easy were actually very hard for you to get. Uh, there was a population report on graded cards, which actually had more impact than SMR. You know, people would pay more attention to the population. So, are you, and you're still buying graded cards, correct? Yes. Has any of the blowout detective agency stuff affected you in any way, or affected the people you deal with in any way? Where they're saying the card cards may be trimmed. Or... A lot of your cards predated that, right? The, the, the scandal of of uh, you know swapping out, you know breaking cracking out slabs and then regrading. You know, I thought a lot of your stuff was prior to that, so you weren't affected. <clears throat> no. Now I when I <clears throat> you know. <clears throat> Back in the 80s, when I would take my sons to shows and all that, of course, there wasn't anything great back then. Um, and we got burned a few times. And then they went off to college. Yeah. And I started looking at the hobby again, and I realized that the vintage stuff was going up. But I'm out of the era where 1990 Donner sets go for six bucks now. And when you first bought them, you know, you thought they were making an investment, but they just saturated the market. And so I was skeptical of buying <coughs> modern for years because it just got oversaturated. And further, <coughs> so I focused just on the vintage because they're not going to make many more 15 Cracker Jacks. Mm -hmm. um, what Rich is asking is that basically the cautionary tale now, based on what's happened, is that be careful if you're buying something that is in exceptionally good condition. If you mainly see sixes and sevens of something and all of a sudden something pops up as a nine, it was a formerly six or seven, perhaps, that got shaved in some magical way. But you predate that. 
that if you have a nine, it's a nine from 30 years ago. Yeah. And that was before these shenanigans because there wasn't as much extreme money in us. And so good for you. But it, it points out, it's like blockchain, is that if you know the pedigree of a card or you know the honest dealer, the ethical dealer like Joe, then if you're buying one of these exceptional cards, you say, okay, it, it came from the Spence collection, it came from Joe, they're going to stand behind it. But if it's a person on the street that's coming up with a card that's exceptional, you know, you might have to worry about it. I'd be more comfortable with a five. Somebody walks up with a mantle, a 52 mantle, and it's a five, you know, I can see that. I, you know, and if it's a good deal, that's one thing. If it's a nine, I'm wondering how there all of a sudden appear to be all these eights and eights and nines. The Rosenfeind. The Rosenfeind, but I mean, that's been anticipated. So. Yeah, there's there's always an element to that, and you see it a lot more now that people are taking archive shots of cards and their serial numbers. The safer buy is the seven or eight than the yeah. nine or the ten. Well, and the the big issue is on the the key cards. Like if you look at the two thousand and three exquisite LeBron, people were swapping patches out of there, and they found mm -hmm. archive pictures from fifteen years ago when the site came out. They're like, hey, well, that wasn't the swatch on that card. Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's always some form of that. But the infra, as we were saying, the information transfer has gotten better, so it's a lot harder, yeah. especially on these numbered cards, to, to scam somebody. Well, I think that's a good thing is you're getting these scandals are happening, so everybody's paying more attention to it. And I would say to Jeff's point about we're all with the hobby of more information, I think there is an insatiable appetite for the knowledge and the, how does this work, how does that work, and the marketing side, the popularity. But it's a very nuanced business, and I would say the scandals of all the trimming and, just, you know, you saw some Steph Curry shenanigans with the, the RPA and stuff like that. And people are now kind of social justice warriors in the industry and they're coming after those people. And, and I think those people will all be, ex I mean, not all, but a lot of them will be exposed because there is a lot of money in the system right now that you're seeing that bill is worth million, you know, millions of dollars. And, and so you do have to be, you know, weary of that. You have to pay more attention to that. But I think we're all trying to move the hobby forward and, mm -hmm. and the internet or one text can change an entire industry mm -hmm. because they found that patch from 10 years ago and you're like, wait a minute. And it stops everybody in their tracks and they put it on message boards and then they expose those people. So mm -hmm. it is, I mean, I think it's a good thing. It's going to be a change for good with, with the amount of people that actually love and care about the hobby. Mm -hmm. It used to be to get information in the hobby, you had to go into the hobby. And to go into the back, into the SCD, into the hobby shop. And that was now, once a month. Right. So you Unless had to make the decision yeah. that I'm going to start thinking or doing or investigating the hobby. Now, my Facebook, my Twitter, my <laughs> COMC account, my anything, I can get that information without necessarily saying that I'm going to look into the hobby today. It pops up in between. You know, While you're watching my, the game in the commercial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, commercial your game and you're reading all that stuff. And there's a few guys on Instagram that are the go-to for fake cards now. And you just find them and you, they're getting messages every single day to just say, what do you think of this? You know, especially with the PMGs and the Rubies, specifically the Rubies, there's been some fake Jordans and things that have circulated. So this one, one guy just probably sits at home and can't wait to expose people. <laughs> that's, his, that's his game. So, he loves so it. my problem apparently is positive tone. <laughs> positive tone no longer sells. <laughs> <laughs> you might have the same problem, bro. <laughs> well, positive tone with a little bit of scandal. Uh, I don't think so. Not for me, but uh, 
It's tricky. Is there going to be a Prism Series 2 for basketball? There's not a Prism Series 2. Not, as of, not as of now. That was a software issue. Which, gotcha. That our checklist can only handle so much information, so we've got to set it up in two different areas. And before we posted the checklist, the Series 2 was already up there, so it was, the information was out. There was nothing we could do about it at that point. But there will be a set called Mosaic coming out later this year right. that is based on Optichrome technology, and it's similar. Did you include any of the rookies you missed? There will be some in there, yes. That's that's the other thing too is is the timing the time that you have to put these checklists together is so far before the season starts right that you've got to pull the trigger at some point and say this is what we're going with mm-hmm. especially printing on OptiChrome because it takes so much lead time to print that those checklists are they're done in you know September mm-hmm. the season doesn't start until the end of October I mean you know if the players drafted you probably put them on the court yeah we'll get we'll get the forty the forty guys that go to the photo shoot but. But how many players, let's say in a given year, end up being in the set that, or end up, you know, that weren't in the, let's say, some most of your early sets that end up playing in the NBA? We'll, we'll probably do so. You have forty guys that show up all the time. I think the last rookie Rolodex I did for Beckett basketball was eighty-three players. Yeah. So basketball, you have eighty-three players, sixty of which might sell, fifty of which will sell okay, thirty of which will sell pretty well. But I'm just saying, so if you put 40 in, so that's 40 more players, then you've got to put in later series. That was, that's, my, that's my question. Yeah, we'll, we'll use them in later, in later sets. But You can yeah. also get a lot of that stuff, watch this, in the college prism stuff. <laughs> oh, shit on that. <laughs> yeah. Does that, does that fall on yourself? But yeah, seriously, a lot of those guys, I mean, it happened with football with Menchu, right? Where we had that early in the draft picks. Yes. Or Philip and, Lindsay, the previous yeah. year, whoever. It just yeah, so they get covered cycle through one way or another. And I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, too. The NBA approval system is very tedious in terms of what you're allowed to show in a photo, what you're allowed to put on a card. I mean, we're just now allowed to clone uniforms on players mm-hmm. that other companies have been doing in other sports for 20 years. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of... A lot of times building the product is more about managing the things that are out of your control than actually doing what's in your control because there's so many so many other people that put their hands on it. Are they by far the hardest, the toughest league to work with with that? Um, well, single league, Rob might have something to say about soccer yeah, approvals soccer. going through all the different governing bodies, yeah. but they are very tedious. Yeah. The joke around the office is NBA stands for nothing but attorneys. <laughs> and it's college, it actually is true. Is tough too, or, you know, just because you have so many different people you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And once you kind of figure out the same way with NASCAR when we first started, it was the same thing. It was because mm-hmm. you're dealing with every team as opposed to just the league. Well, you're dealing with the league and then all that. Right. So it, once you kind of get it going, I mean, they're tough. But, I mean, because sitting by this guy, I think NBA, just from what I hear and see, it sounds like that might be the toughest. I mean, we'll get, we'll get, hey, so-and-so got a haircut last week, so yeah. you're going to have to update this, or wow. this guy has a beard now, or this guy just signed a new shoe deal. Yeah, and, you know, Rich and I did a pro set episode about living set concepts, and so just take a page out of Lund's book. Just do a new printing mm-hmm. every week. <laughs> <laughs> living set. Keep them running. Living set. Living set. Now, new haircut. New car. I've won several G League games this year, and they're actually fun to 
but I assume there's no money in making card set, even a factory setup. Uh, that's limitation as well, depending on what their contract status is. So I mean, because some of them are on the two-way contract where yeah. they might even have an NBA. Yeah, that that gets a little tricky as yeah, well. Okay. It I just depends just, on the player. I was just thinking that that's something that there's maybe, a big three set. Yeah, big three. Uh, Park, Parkside is Parkside doing yeah, it. Parkside, Parkside is doing it. It has done a big three. That's a cool. That's a cool mm-hmm. league. Yeah. You get some interesting people in the big three. Everybody that Jordan loved in the nineties, they're all there. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when the NBA tried to tell us how we were supposed to list a player on our website? Yeah, I think it was I Nene. Did. Nene. Yeah, they wanted us to take his last name off. off. They just wanted yeah. the first name in there. Yeah, there's. That hasn't changed. <laughs> and we weren't even a licensee. Exactly. We were just they were listing a checklist. Get, get us to change things. Yeah. That's hilarious. So glad. That's what you did for those who get that. That's good.